Welcome to episode 59 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for our hockey in Ohio, covering every level of play from youth, high school, to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Scott Harrington. I'm joined by producer Dan Humphrey. For another skeleton crew of On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. We're happy to spend some time with Sophia Bellina last week. She came up through the ranks here locally in Cleveland with the Junior Barons and Gilmore Gladiators, competing against both boys and girls. And now after a year at Culver Academy, she has secured a spot at Rochester Institute of Technology, where she will be in the fall. That was a fun conversation. Um, she's currently uh, playing in the, I think they're in the playoffs now in the Futures League with uh, Russ Sinkowicz. And... Uh, Great to see another uh, another local talent uh, move on to the D1 ranks in the NCAA. Yeah. Um, you know, I know one thing, sitting back and listening and editing last week's episode, uh, maturity level of Sophia, I think, is huge. Um, you know, there was a time we mentioned she has traveled around to play, you know, being with the Barons, Penn's Elite. Um, at that time she was still always living at home. So mm -hmm. for her to, to understand and make that, you know, decision that she needed to move away to call her Academy to, you know, kind of get a jump start on her college career. Um, it obviously worked because it got her D one scholarship. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're a girl trying to, you know, play hockey in Northeast Ohio or in Ohio in general, I mean, that's, that's your end route when you really think about it, you want that D one scholarship. So, you know, kudos to her for working and getting it. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of kids, uh, when they, you know, go up to that level, they're trying to think, uh, you know, move on to the next level as quickly as possible, which for the guys is uh, the pros. For the, the women's game, it can be too. Um, there is a, you know, professional women's league going, but I think um, taking the approach of not only am I going to stay four years, but it's going to redshirt a year, spread the academics out over five years. So you, um, you know, really have time to focus on hockey during hockey season. Um, like you said, I think that uh, shows a lot of maturity and I, I know I would have to do that. I mean, I don't know how some of these uh, student athletes juggle, at, you know, when you're at that level, juggle the class, classwork and there's a lot of demands on their time as a division one athlete. Yeah. I mean, I look back at my time in college and there would be, I don't, I don't know how I survived and I didn't play any sports. Yeah. Um, I, I took five and a half years to get a bachelor's degree and I didn't play any division one sports. So, so the fact that they're adding, you know, that extra commitment onto it, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. God bless them. And, you know, more power to them. Yeah. So we'll head to Southwest Ohio this week to check in with representatives from the Cincinnati Cyclones of the ECHL and the newest junior hockey franchise in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area, the Junior Cyclones of the USPHL. So before we get to the news, what's going on in your world, Dan? Um, well, first off, because um, I know he, he also listens to the show, and uh, just going to throw it out there, you know, Tim Sullivan said last week that he was back. He would be on, you know, for the rest of the summer. <laughs> and um, I think we last made it about one week. Yeah, made it six days and uh, he's not. But no, I mean, I know he's uh, dealing with some freshman orientation and stuff. Um, I think the anybody jobs get in the way sometimes, don't they? They do. Doing they do. This stuff. But. You know, school's ramping back up, um, which is good. You know, I'm, I'm excited to get going, you know, 
with the new school year and just a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of things to get lined up. And for me, I think the scariest part is again, not knowing what's going to happen. You know, yeah. first couple of years ago, you never thought school would get shut down ever. And it did, um, you know, not saying it's going to happen again, but just that, that sense of not knowing, you yeah. know, we're planning, doing all this stuff to get ready for the school year. And then it's crazy how fast the cult, the uh, society, like the, the expectations change so quickly last March or March, 2020, when we were told to leave our office for two weeks, I remember telling my coworkers, there is no way people are going to stay home for two weeks. <laughs> There's no way it was inconceivable to me. And then 15 months later, everybody's still working from home. And it's like, and, and people just kind of accepted that new reality a lot more quickly than I thought they would. We were scheduled to, still are scheduled as far as I know, that for everybody to be back in our office five days a week on September 1st. But uh, I don't know if this new Delta variant stuff is going to affect that or not. I'm, I'm old school. I want to be in the office. I like working downtown and being home in the suburbs at night. And uh, uh-huh. I'm just more productive when I'm sitting at a desk in an office. That's just me. It's easier to, you know, to brainstorm, to throw ideas off each other. Um, It just kind of seems like it flows a little bit more naturally. Yeah. I mean, this podcast, great example. When we're all together in the studio doing it, it just flows. Yeah. When we're doing it over to Zoom, it's, you know, you're, we're looking at each other trying to wait to see who's going to talk yeah. first and you know so so we'll see how it goes this week we got the skeleton crew so we the two of us have have carried a podcast by ourselves before who's i forget who the guest was the first time uh so when the time i had to do it it was i think it was just me and love and it was uh coaches out of all and liberty yeah and that's what well, you and i did one once did we yeah I can't remember. I, I meant to look back and see who it was, but I uh, I can't remember who the guest was. Probably had the, mo- the best rating, so. Well, yeah, we'll get the analytics department out and see how, because we had Sully and Lev both in the mix last week, and we're doing it without them this week, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, speaking of uh, Sully, I took his suggestion. Uh, I don't think it was on air. I think it was when we were pre-gaming uh, last week. He mentioned the Rockin' the River and Lorraine. No free ads. Uh, so I took the family out there on Friday. They had a, a Elton John and Billy Joel thing. And uh, it was fantastic. We had a great time. Good music. Uh, it's a great venue. Got the food trucks out there and beer garden and the weather was perfect. And uh, had a good time. Might have to go back in a couple of weeks for the Motley Crew Ozzy Osbourne uh, impersonators. That would be a good one. Your uh, your weekend was a little bit more exciting than mine. We um, probably made one of my biggest mistakes as a father. I was uh, Saturday night. We had my son's uh, godfather over and his wife. We were outside, drink a couple beers, smoking a couple cigars. I had the grill going, and I told I'm in about four times to uh, get away from the grill, get away from the grill, and then next thing oh. you know, he's screaming in pain and. Uh, has three giant blisters on his hand, and I thought Denise was going to murder me. <laughs> you told him get away from the grill. I know that was that's. I mean, that's my defense. I told him. So that's a learning. A learning. He uh, quickly learned. Opportunity. Uh, don't touch it. So teaching moment. Yes. Well, hopefully it's. Uh, so what'd you put on it? Aloe. Yes. So we water. had. Um, we ran it under some water. For him, it doesn't matter what you know, type of uh, injury he gets. He always wants a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And then we had the, the uh, tube of aloe out, and he was just shoving his fingers into it. I don't think it was really even doing anything, but more mentally he thought he was okay. Went to bed early, woke up in the morning, and he was fine. So, Yeah. I see. Yeah, burns suck. Well, hopefully he... Uh... He's all right. We, I, have, I haven't grilled much at all this summer. I, I was out uh, out on Saturday. It's too hot lately. 
I had my mother-in-law over, so we were out, grilled out some dogs and some brats. See, I'm probably that's obviously you know you can tell he's feeling better because he's just screaming in the background now. Um, we probably grill out every every night in the summer. Oh yeah, whether it's on the grill or get some ribs or pork chops going on the smoker, it's always doing something. Nice. I'm trying to think of the worst injury my son has had. I haven't been around when he had too many. He had a he had a grand mal seizure when he was two years old, and thankfully it was my wife that was home with him when it happened. My wife, the nurse, and not me, because they would have come home and found us both laying there. Because yeah. I would have probably passed out if I had been the one that found him. But this is talk, talk about uh, moms being in tune with their kids. So we lived in a at the time we lived in Lakewood, old house, hundred year old house, hardwood floors. And you've got a two-year-old, there's always something hitting the ground, right? And she's in the kitchen. And in the other room, there's a thunk, something hitting the ground. And she says, well, that didn't sound right. And walked into the other room and found him passed out. What caused but, it? But just not, they just said it, it happens sometimes with little kids. And they said, if it doesn't happen again in the next 18 months, it's just one of those things and don't worry about it. And it didn't. And everything was fine but uh just that level of being <laughs> in tune to hear something hit the ground which you hear a hundred times a day and just like hmm that's just, that didn't yeah. sound right that was the other the room to, in, to in, investigate is is pretty amazing yeah no and then yeah. living in lakewood it was nice i think he went she went from picking up the phone to being in the emergency room at the old lakewood hospital yep. it was like 90 seconds or something ridiculous like that that's one hospital that they, I think they, they need to bring it back. I mean, I know it's still a medical building or whatever now, but yeah, there's nothing else close by. Like yeah. That. I think the close, you have to go to Fairview or to uh, Lutheran now, or Metro. Yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we see what's going on in the news? Let's do it. We will get an update on the status of the men's and women's hockey teams at Robert Morris University from Brianne McLaughlin next week. In the meantime, former St. Ignatius star Aiden Spellacy has transferred from Robert Morris to St. Cloud State. St. Cloud was ranked number two uh, in the unofficial two early rankings by ESPN's John Butchagross, I noticed this week. So uh, Spellacy going on to a, a big time program there at St. Cloud. Um, perennial NCAA tournament team there uh, and also related uh, the Robert Morris women's coach Paul Colantino has left the program to take a job at Bishop Kearney prep school uh, outside of Rochester New York so you know obviously the seems like they're going to have uh, the programs men's and women's programs reinstated um, I know that there was a fundraising deadline that came and went um, we'll see where they are with that. Um, we're going to speak with Brianne McLaughlin, who's at some point, she has agreed to come on the podcast and she got busy with the, I think it's called the Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation or something like that. That's the uh, fiscal agent doing the fundraising for the Robert Morris uh, hockey program. So she's been pretty busy, um, but we'll at least get a short uh, soundbite from her next week to see where things stand um, with Robert Morris. Did they say how long, I guess, the fundraising efforts will keep Robert Morris afloat? I want to say it was five years. There was a, a dollar. I, I don't have in front of me. I want to say it was seven and a half million dollars would. And it was the gap. They were trying to fill a gap. That's not enough to run the whole budget. But uh, if they could raise seven and a half million dollars over five years, that would fill the gap to the satisfaction of the administration and they would restart the hockey program. So they didn't have to have the whole seven and a half million. They needed to be on track. So I don't know what that means. Um, and I haven't seen anything else in the paper in the Pittsburgh Tribune or anything like that, except for this note about the women's coach resigning. Um, but it's tough. They're kind of in a, in a kind of a limbo situation there. And, you know, 
I'm sure Aiden Spellacy, uh, we'll try to talk to him too. I'm sure he was happy at Robert Morris, would have been happy to go back for his senior year. But then they say, well, we're getting rid of the program. And then they come back and say, oh, no, we're going to play next year. And he's already made his decision or, you know, talk to other schools and the transfer portal or whatnot. So, you know, uh, he makes the decision to move on to St. Cloud State. Um, but, yeah, it's we'll, we'll get an update next week and uh, kind of try to clarify things with uh, Brianne McLaughlin. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got to think too. It's going to be hard for them to even bring in recruit kids. Yeah, if it's so everybody, like the I programs said, in limbo and you don't know what's happening, and you have two, you know, a Bowling Green or a Robert Morris offering you pretty much the same right. incentives to go there. It's you know they definitely have an uphill battle, but. And when I spoke with Derek Schooley a couple of weeks ago, we didn't end up using it, unfortunately, because we didn't do a podcast for two weeks. So by the time we did one, it was the information was three weeks old, but did speak to him. And he said he's probably going to have to rebuild about half the roster. Um, and then it wasn't really clear, you know, basically all their recruits, they had to give them the option to head somewhere else. And they everybody explored other options and, some of them, I'm sure, were happy to find out that things are likely moving forward with Robert Morris, but a lot of them took the out and, you know, are um, exploring the opportunity to play elsewhere. Can't really blame them. Nope. Yeah. So last week we talked about Ohio State's Jincy Dunn getting a spot on Team USA for the upcoming Women's World Championships. This week we learned that former Ohio State star Emma Malte represent Canada at the event. Malte was a prolific playmaker in college with 103 assists and 130 career NCAA games, including 59 points, a 1940 line, and 38 games as a junior in 2019-2020. Kent State University announced that Zach Nowak is the new head coach of their Division I ACHA team. Nowak has been with the program for seven years, including the last two as the head coach of their new Division Three program. Noack, a former goaltender for Lake Catholic High School, was a two-time MVP at Kent State. USA Hockey Tab two-time Stanley Cup champion John Cooper of the Tampa Bay Lightning as the head coach of the men's team for the 2022 Olympics. I thought that was a, a good choice, pretty obvious choice, I think, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, have NHL players, and he's, I think, the most accomplished NHL coach you're going to find right now. Yes. Like, I mean, I wonder if uh, our recent guest, Nate Lehman, who's had some experience with Team USA or USA hockey, I should say, um, with the World Junior team, uh, if he has another successful tournament this year, he's, he's, uh, they've had him work with pros at the World Championships. And I wonder if he might be a candidate for the 2026 team. Yeah, I mean, I think he would, you know, kind of fit the uh, trajectory of what he's been doing um, and find himself in a good spot for that possible move in 2026. Now, forgive me, did they announce assistant coaches? I'm sure he'll get – Cooper will get to uh, fill out his roster. Maybe he'll – maybe Nate Lehman get a shot as an assistant like he did at the World Championships. Yep. Although to be the head coach of the Olympics in 2026, I'm sure he would have to be in the NHL uh, since they're using all NHL players. And that's something that we didn't ask about whether he had aspirations to do that or not. But um, you never know. We'll have to see. We should probably do uh, – uh, I think we should have a competition with the co-hosts here and yourself um, picking the U.S. and Canadian – rosters for the Olympics. Like we put together a projected roster and see who's the closest because those are all coming out right now. Although I don't think they've even decided for sure that they're going. No, I, last I heard it was still up for discussion. Um, I just, I don't see how you don't, how they don't go. Right. You know, and it's not, not anything against, you know, the young, the younger kids or like that. But, I mean, the product is just so much better when yeah. you have the best of the best playing. Yeah. 
my uh my only problem when they go to the olympics so wait where are the olympics in 2026 um i can look that up where are they in 2022 22 for that matter i don't even know when they go far away and the, they have to shut down the nhl for two weeks and they have to travel play an exhibition game yada yada and they end up with a really short tournament like they play three games don't mean anything and then everybody makes the quarterfinals whatever it is i just never crazy about that um when it's that short but you know it is the you want to see the best the best on best although i always liked it when it was the college kids but so 2022 is in beijing china and um 2026 is in italy italy wasn't it just in italy a couple years ago uh Two thousand six, they were in Torino. They got it again. Twenty years. Wow. All right, Italy. Former Cincinnati Cyclones broadcaster Everett Fitzhugh left some big shoes to fill when he left to join the Seattle Kraken. A few weeks ago, we found out who would fill that vacancy when the Cyclones hired twenty-six-year-old Andrew Mossbrooks as the team's new director of public relations and broadcasting. Mossbrooks broke into pro hockey broadcasting with the Peoria Rivermen of the Southern Professional Hockey League two years ago. Matt Thomas has won 431 games as a head coach in the ECHL. In his first season with the Cyclones, the team only lost two home games in regulation all season and posted the best record in the league. He was named the ECHL Coach of the Year. A three-time coach in the ECHL All-Star Game, Thomas ranked sixth all-time in career wins at 431 and is also the all-time leader in playoff games coached with 108 and ranked second with 54 playoff wins, just one behind all-time leader John Brophy. In March, it was announced that the United States Premier Hockey League would be placing a franchise in Cincinnati that will be closely associated with the Cyclones. The Junior Cyclones will be the sixth USPHL franchise in and around Ohio. Jim Mitchell, who played collegiately at Kent State University, will serve as the team's general manager and head coach during their inaugural season. The team has already started to stock its roster with local talent as the junior Cyclones get ready to compete with the likes of the Columbus Mavericks, Toledo Cherokee, and Wooster Oilers during the 2021-22 season. Please welcome, on air, Andrew Mossbrooks, Matt Thomas, and Jim Mitchell. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Um, Andrew, I think we're going to start with you. Uh, for all the Cyclone fans out there who have not had the chance to meet you yet, where are you from? How did you get uh, from there to behind the microphone of a pro hockey team by the time you were 24 years old? Yeah, uh, well, and, and fortunately, I, I got the chance to uh, to meet some of our fans at a Florence Yalls game that uh, that coach and I and a few of our other staff members were at. But thanks for having us, Scott. Um, you know, I, I am from pretty much middle of nowhere, uh, a town called Sunbury, Pennsylvania. It's a few hours from Philadelphia, so that's where my sports allegiances too, but in terms of in town, in house, uh, we really didn't have much. Um, our ice rink is a swimming pool in the summer uh, to just give more context to that. But I grew up playing the game. I started late uh, as probably 13, 14 years old. Um, and then once it became clear to me that uh, I probably wasn't gonna get paid to play the game due to my lack of skill, uh, I ended up having to kind of get acclimated to a different side and. Uh, broadcasting was just something that for whatever reason spoke to me, um, growing up watching the flyers and, and Jim Jackson, who does the TV broadcast for their games. And, uh, that led me to Millersville university. I got a four-year degree there, uh, in broadcast communications called games for their hockey team while I played men's league on the side. And, uh, then from there, um, just kind of parlayed some internship experience uh, that ultimately nabbed me a job doing some junior games uh, in the North American Hockey League. Uh, and then from there, I went to the Peoria Rivermen in the SPHL, which is just a league below us in the ECHL, independent pro hockey. I got a lot of great experience and, and got to meet some uh, some great-minded hockey people there. Their coach, Jean-Guy Trudel, played a couple games in the NHL, longtime AHL or won a Calder Cup. Um, he's a great guy and, and helped me out along with their front office staff. And, uh, I was just very fortunate that my predecessor here, Everett Fitzhugh, uh, became the first African-American broadcaster in the NHL and moves on to the expansion Seattle Kraken. So, 
Um, the day I saw he put that in, I put my name in. Um, was very optimistic, but hard to do that during a global pandemic. And it took nine months for the job search to complete. But uh, just extremely fortunate that uh, Kristen Ropp um, and Sean Lynn, uh, who kind of head our our operations with the Cyclones, they selected me. And um, I'm just, just really happy, really honored, and, uh, and, and very, very fortunate to, to be here working with the Cyclones and, and serving as the East Coast affiliate for, uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. Have you, uh, so I know you're, you're still kind of new. I assume uh, everybody's back in the office, in the front office there for the Cyclones. I don't know how that's going, but have you noticed just going from the SPHL to the ECHL uh, a difference in the, um, how robust the front office is and the professional operation? Yeah. I mean, it goes from about five people to 20. Uh, so that's the, that's the biggest difference right there. Um, and, and everybody's, you know, the tasks are, are very delegated so that you, you kind of, in a way you have less on your plate, but everything you have on your plate is so much more important because of the uh, standards that the ECHL is held to. And I think specifically uh, the Cyclones, I mean, when you look at this league, um, there's a, a couple, I think it's 20, 27, 28 teams in the league. Um, there's a team in Savannah, Georgia coming in next season, but you know, just the pedigree that this team is held to by their owner, Ray Harris. Um, and, and again, I go to Kristen and Sean and obviously the success and track record that Matt Thomas has developed with them over the last few years on the ice. Um, you know, there's a winning product on the ice. There's a winning culture in the office. And I think, um, there, there's not to say that that's different because, uh, the Peoria Riverman, which is where I was in the SPHL, they're a fantastic organization and they win all the time. Um, but just, I just think in, in some ways, I, I'm trying to, trying to decipher the differences. I think they share a similarity and there's a winning culture and pride in the organization because both have a longstanding history in the city. Um, but there's definitely a difference in quantity, uh, just in terms of personnel, from the SP to the ECHL. And uh, I just think having that same kind of, you know, badge of honor that you work for this team and, you know, you, you feel accountable every day in the office to just that anything you're doing, you know, you double check all your emails to make sure you've got your I's dotted, your T's crossed, and you just, it, you, you absolutely want to have the utmost professionalism um, to represent this organization in the best way possible, especially, you know, given that, you know, come October when they touch ice, it's going to be the first time in, well, it's 17, 18 months. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot riding on the line here and, and I'm excited that they gave me that opportunity. And um, I kind of look to take the ball and run with it here once we get going. But also to your point, yes, everybody's back in the office too. And I think everyone's excited about that. It's, it's a lot easier to be working together uh, in an office where you're within earshot of somebody as opposed to getting an email out in between making grilled cheese in your pajamas or something like that. Like we have been for a while. Right. Too graphic, too graphic. Boss. Too graphic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Coach Thomas, we're going to throw you on the hot seat here. Um, when Scott read your intro, you know, we talked about some of your career stats and your illustrious career in the ECHL. But we all know coaches are like players and that they're creatures of habit. And as Andrew just alluded to, it's been 17, 18 months since, you know, you guys have touched the ice. So, I guess. Uh, you know, my two questions for you, how hard was it last year for you with the team not in operation? And then what are some things that you did, but also, you know, the team itself to help keep you guys busy and keep your sanity throughout the, the lockdown? Well, I think the one thing we did, we started the clock on uh, on Andrew's mustache and just trying to see how it's coming in now. So that uh, that started 18 months ago from our last game. Uh, it's coming in pretty thick. I don't know if you guys can see it. Maybe we got a zoom enough feature on here, but uh, yeah, there's a jet lag just for men that we're we're working on. So we're really holding it back. <laughs> I'm sorry when you were talking, Mossy. All I could all I could see was how thick that mustache was coming. It was impressive. So uh, the uh, but uh, you know you know I think the one thing that you look at right away. Uh, I think people talk about mental health a lot in sports, and it's becoming a bigger thing just in in, in society and. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say I wasn't a believer in mental health because I've always very much been, but man, did I struggle, you know, for, I, and I think what, for me, what the struggle was is you're just used to the grind. And uh, what, what kind of sold me on what this whole thing is about uh, 
when you, you think about a player who leaves the game of hockey. So when any of us have played, you know, none of us, you know, most of us were told, Hey, you're just not good enough. Get out. Uh, but for anybody that, that leaves, I don't think you ever leave because you're not, you don't love the game. You, 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 the grind wears on you, right? You just don't know if you've got the grind in you anymore. You don't know, you don't have the love and passion for the grind. And for me, you know, I've been, I've been coaching, this will be my 23rd season uh, behind, behind the bench. And obviously I, you know, I played all the way through my college uh, days at RIT, but uh, I just love it. Right. I'm obsessed with the game. So for me, it was really, really difficult not to have that. Hey, uh, I was at one point I was legit saying, I just wish we were getting off the bus at three in the morning and I was lugging some bags into the room, even though I hate that part of the job and turning around, sitting at my computer for an hour from three to four, watching some video from the game the night before, going home, sleeping for three hours or sleeping on the couch in my office, waking up and getting going again at 7 a.m. just to be ready for a meeting at 10 a.m. with the guys. Like I, I kind of, I, I really missed that kind of experience. So I, I think when we, when we all went through what we went through and I, I think it, it's not, it, it's not unique to uh, my situation at all. Uh, some of us are, our life went on pretty similarly to what they were doing uh, during the pandemic, but a lot of us, it was upside down uh, and it was just, it was just different. Uh, I joke around in my neighborhood that I, you know, I was like, I just, I really like Michael Keaton and Mr. Mom, the, the, the movie. Right. And, uh, and what, uh, you know, I wanted to have the poker games in the neighborhood with all the stay at home moms. Problem is all the moms had jobs in my neighborhood. So it was, wasn't much of a poker game. But for me, it was here I am at home with an opportunity, A, to be a dad. I've got two boys. I've got 10 and 11-year-old boys. And um, one of the relationships uh, that kind of came out of that was with Jim and I. Um, both of us have a 2009 born sons, and they played together. And thank God we started the Junior Cyclones program. And uh, I could turn my love of the grind and put place that grind on young 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds and uh, make sure that, that they experienced it, uh, even though they probably didn't need to at this, uh, this age. But for me, it was, um, it was therapeutic in such a way where it was, and I'll probably never get a chance to coach my kids uh, personally and, uh, and be that much involved at a, at a youth level. And I think it was great for my own coaching development. I got a, I got a kick out of it, man. I, it was, uh, you know, I, I remember I had about the first five weeks of practices, uh, practice plans done before the youth season started. And after the first day, I was like, okay, they're not ready for that drill. They're not ready for this drill. And I threw them all in the garbage and said, okay, let's, let's start from uh, scratch. And the good thing is Jim had more experience coaching at the youth level that um, I was like, hey, I think we've got to start doing practices uh, a little bit more simplistic and, and building in nature. So it was, it was cool, man. I got, I got a great kick out of being around the kids. Uh, good news is I didn't kick one garbage can. I didn't throw a water <laughs> bottle on the ice. I didn't, um, I think there was a couple of times when, uh, if you went back and thank God, uh, live barn only has a 30 day backtrack on watching games on demand because, uh, I probably had a few and it mostly was, I was yelling at my own poor kids, but it was, uh, it gave me that feel, right. I got a little bit of that, 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 that adrenaline running through me. So it, it, it was fun, but we, uh, we did some different things. Uh, we started this youth program and, uh, from a staff standpoint, I got really involved with other coaches that were also out there struggle, struggling in that, in a way, what do we do? We did a lot of cool things, uh, uh, from NHL, different NHL coaches to American league guys in high level Europe, major junior NCAA, uh, on these zoom meetings and we got really good at zoom. We presented to each other and we exchanged ideas and we challenged each other on different stuff. So a lot of really cool, uh, educational opportunities and, and just kind of growth elements to the game and what we could, what we could really come up with. So, um, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad we're heading in the right direction, but, uh, I, I do feel like I got a lot out of, uh, the 18 months where we, I wasn't standing behind a bench being in the, in the grind. So, you know, on the other side of that now, now, you know, hopefully, like you said, we're coming out of this and you're coming into this upcoming season. What's running through your head now? You know, how, how are you feeling coming to this? Yeah, it, it's, you know what, it's, uh, it's, it, I'll tell you there, 
the cool thing about the game is I don't think the stress is ever the same, right? There's, there's very, there's a lot of things that are, are kind of routine, but for us, NCAA, an extra year of eligibility, we're a big recruiting league. We, we recruit heavily out of the NCAA and out of U sport, which is the Canadian equivalent of the NCAA. We had a lot of players that are there. Uh, the Canadian Hockey League from the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior League, and the Western Hockey League. Uh, those players, the OHL players didn't play at all. Quebec played. The Western Hockey League had an abbreviated season. Um, but those players are typically now going to uh, to U Sport uh, if they aren't getting an NHL or American Hockey League deal. So dip, real different element in the recruiting side of things where we just don't have the exact same – player pool to, to pull from. So uh, some unique challenges there. Uh, we've got a tremendous affiliation with Buffalo and Rochester. Uh, I, have an, I have a meeting tomorrow, uh, a Zoom meeting at 9 a.m. with the Sabres to talk about players and what we're going to, what they're going to do for depth and what they want to see in the organization. Um, so a, a lot of uh, work that goes into preparing for that, which is, un, is not unlike any other year. That, that's, that's pretty, uh, standard operating procedure when you get to this time of the year, usually at the end of August might be in the middle, uh, closer to the middle of September, the coaching staff staffs between Cincinnati, Buffalo and Rochester meet. We talk about how the organization wants to play as a whole language, intentional language. What, what type of things do we want to say to each other? I know last night, uh, Jim and Jamie Antello is a assistant coach. Uh, we sat in my office down downtown at HBC until uh, closer to 10 p.m. just talking hockey and systems and how they want the junior team to play and uh, so we, we were sharing ideas and we were debating and uh, going through all the cool things that you get to do when you're coaching and next thing you know where these guys say like hey we got to get home it's 10 o'clock but I would have been there till two in the morning if uh, <laughs> if it needed it uh, so cool uh, the the energy starting to really shift towards uh, full steam ahead and the and the roster starting to take shape which is also a fun thing for us at our level. So Jim, let's get you in here. Uh, I mentioned in your intro that you played at Kent State. That was during the days of the NCAA uh, program, correct? Yeah, we were. It was the first two years of the CCHA when I was there, and then they dropped uh, hockey because of Title IX, um, gender equity, and, and didn't have enough women's sports, and so they dropped us in uh, men's gymnastics. And then I transferred to Fair State and finished my career at Fair State. Okay. Um, the USPHL certainly has a strong foothold in and around Ohio. We mentioned the other three teams uh, in the state. You also have Lake Erie Bighorns and Erie PA, Fort Wayne, um, not far west. Uh, what is your background and how did this all come about with the uh, franchise in Cincinnati? So for the past three years, I was assistant general manager of the Hudson Havoc of the USPHL of the Midwest West Division with uh, Brett Wall. He's another Dayton guy. Um, worked with him, was doing all of his recruiting, helping his recruiting for this area and, and sent a lot of guys there and um, just started as a, as a helping. And I sent my oldest son there to play. Um, he spent three years there. And then my, my other son, who's a goalie spent last year there. So it was one of these things where I started talking to John Schwartz. He owns the Chicago Cougars and the uh, Wisconsin Rapids River Kings. He owned the, the Dells Ducks part of Fort Wayne and then he also owned this team called the Rochester Vipers and he wanted to sell the Vipers franchise so I started talking to him last year about October about buying this franchise and moving it to Cincinnati um, so I, you know I really spent the year kind of laying out the plan and then talking to Matt um, you know getting some input from him is how this works and then you know Matt was the one that kind of said hey, why don't we go talk to Kristen and see if she would have any interest of bringing this junior team to, you know, help bring it to Cincinnati. And, and we started that conversation, had those conversations, um, got the plan. And basically the league was, their message to me was, if you can get the Cyclones on board, you can have a franchise. If not, we're, we're not going to do anything. So that's, you know, if, if it wasn't for the Cyclones, we wouldn't be here today. So that's how the partnership started. So, yeah, so what – what form exactly is this partnership taking place? What, what, what's the uh, ECHL franchise's uh, involvement exactly? I, I don't know if that question's best for you or Matt. Well, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where 
Kristen's laying out how she wants it ran. Um, everything's got to be run through the Cyclones from, you know, player development to marketing to how we spend our money. That's all going through the professional team. So there's a, there's a big support area there that a lot of junior teams don't have. So that's what's been really exciting for me. And then just, you know, the, the ability to, to work with Matt. Matt's run runs our mini camps in the summer. He's come out and skated with the guys. He's coming out this weekend. We're having a mini camp. He's going to help us with that. Like you said, he sat with Jamie and I last night for, you know, four hours going over systems and, and, and working, walking through that with us. So, you know, it's really what's happening is in two years, the Cyclones are going to own this team outright. And that's, that's the agreement that we have. Great. Um, Matt, back to you. Um, how, how did it work during the, so the Cyclones did not operate last year, obviously. How did that work as far as retaining rights to players that were on your roster originally for last season? Yeah. So what the ECHL ended up doing is uh, we have a reserve process that happens in the, uh, in the off season that, you're allowed to protect ultimately 20, 20 players. And of those 20, you have two, uh, two weeks to, to sign as many to standard player contracts. And then uh, on top of that, you have the, the capabilities of retaining the rights to eight of those 20 players. So uh, you've got, to, you get some exclusivity and negotiation periods uh, for about, about a two week period before the qualifying offer process has to be completed and what the, the league did. And I think it's great. I think it's good because it, it could have really sank some teams in, in our level. We are a heavy recruiting level. I, uh, I think about our relationship with Buffalo, which is one of probably the premier um, relationships between American NHL, American league and the ECHL teams. Uh, and we get a lot of players provided to us through the Buffalo relationship. And, uh, the uh, but without that, you're in a re in a total rebuild. So without it making making it a full expansion year for half the league, because only half the league played, because uh, they're, they're building. So we, you know we are in a revenue, you know what we like to term butts in seats uh, type of league. We need people coming to our games and paying to get into the door to be able to operate. And uh, uh, with that, we had a lot of teams that didn't get to operate, didn't didn't get to create any revenue. Uh, how again were we going to build an entire team from scratch uh, just with the competitive nature that's created? So uh, we had that opportunity. Anybody that we signed last season and were under under a standard player contract went into that. So you're allowed you're allowed to sign. Let's just say for argument's sake, we signed thirty guys. We are allowed to protect twenty and then qualify eight. Uh, so uh, if you were successful at it, you could get 12 of those 20 guys signed and then protect eight and, and have all 20 in your control. Um, unique year, a lot of players, you know, our league is a two year league and then you're either moving up or you're moving on to Europe. Uh, and that's, uh, and if you're not that there's a, uh, only room for about three or four guys to make significant amount of money to keep playing. It's a, uh, you know, there's, there's guys that are doing it for that. Hey, I'm the long shot. I can make it. Um, and then they either cash in in Europe or they get one of those coveted four veteran spots in our league. Cause we're only allowed four veterans and that a veterans defined as a player that's played 260 uh, professional games at the double a level or above. Uh, so it, it's a, uh, to, to get new players. I already, I already alluded to the fact of the NCAA uh, and that extra year of eligibility creating um, a unique uh, recruiting disadvantage for our league. Uh, and then you, you, you pack on Europe opening up players. I mean, guys retiring from the game. Some guys just said, Hey, I, I'm moving in our, our, one of our best defensemen uh, from a year ago was on the all ECHL rookie team and he was under a contract with, with Rochester, you know, he got a job in banking, right? Smart guy went to Bemidji state uh, and just ultimately decided to move on from his hockey career. And a, and a guy that in my opinion, I know for a fact could play in the American hockey league and, and do it full time. Uh, but again, uh, the American hockey league isn't a league for players that are good enough. 
it's a league for players that NHL teams think can be in the NHL within two years. Right. And uh, so uh, most of the players in our league can easily go up and play games in the American hockey league on any given night. But uh, it's the guy that has the bigger ceiling, the high, the American hockey league routinely is a younger league than the ECHL by nature of NHL entry level contracts. Most of the players are, that are playing the American league are on entry level contracts. So they're 20 to 23 uh, and or up to 25 years old where our league is the guy that doesn't get the entry level deal went to college as a 21 year old freshman after playing his junior eligibility out graduates at 24 and is a 25 year old first year player. So uh, that's how we got to build our team. So, and I'll, I'll tell you what, one of the cool things uh, I, my career in this league, I coached in Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey, which was awesome. <laughs> what, what a great town, fun town to be in. Really cool. We played in historic boardwalk hall where they all the, the Miss America pageant and the big fights and the, and, you know, Bruce Springsteen concerts, just a wicked venue. Uh, then I went out to Fresno and Stockton, California. So if you've ever been to Fresno and Stockton, to Central Valley, gritty in nature, you know, uh, agricultural, cool cities, old, like right at the base of the mountains. Uh, you know, in Stockton, we were two hours from uh, from Tahoe and in uh, Fresno, we were 45 minutes from Yosemite National Park. So really cool places to live, but not uh, premier destinations uh, in the ECHL like a Cincinnati is. And it's, we retain players here. First of all, our, our ownership does everything first class our fans are awesome our building's awesome and our our building is right downtown where we share a concourse with uh, an outdoor concourse with the reds and we're right there with the bengals and so it's a really cool and unique environment when you're in the minor league level to have that major league feel for the the size that cincinnati is and uh, first of all in atlantic city uh was there a connection with ryan Mujinal? there did he play for you or coach there with you or that that guy if you know him that guy's a joke okay he's a joke no he's uh he's my best friend he's my best friend in the game uh we actually uh he he had his first beer with me i also i also made him run the subway tunnel when we were 15 in high school uh we had stayed out we missed the last subway we had to run the subway tunnels to get home but ryan is a is a great a great buddy of mine how do you know moosh so I was the PR guy for the Cleveland Lumberjacks when he played his first year pro. And if I'm not mistaken, at the press conference, we were introducing our new signings, Ryan Mujinal and Martin St. Louis. I could be wrong, but no, I think, they did sign I think that's true. And, I, and then um, I'm hoping the other one was in uh, Tambo, Tamboro. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh God! No, I think right. <laughs> a legend think in the was... game. You guys should have. If this yeah. was more of a spit and chicklets type thing, Campbell <laughs> would be the best guest you could. You yeah, could he have. had a nice. Another he had a nice run there. We all we all grew up together. Yeah, but yeah, Ryan Mujinell, um obviously played uh, through there, and then he played for me in Atlantic City. I actually okay. that was my first transaction as an assistant coach in the league. Uh, I made a trade. Uh, with the Jackson Bandits, Jackson, Mississippi, for Ryan Mujanel. Um and it, and it was funny. He was like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like that, <laughs> that was his first thing he said to me after I acquired his rights because we grew up together. Well, he's part of a, a trivia question, not only the, the Martana St. Louis press conference, but he was part of a 12-player trade that we made with Quebec. Yeah, I was uh, I was like the, the uh, deputy PR guy, and the, the PR guy was out of town. And he calls me and he says, you have to write a press release. We made a trade. I said, all right, who was it? He said, get a pen. <laughs> and he just starts naming off guys. We traded half the team. It was ridiculous. Yeah, there was, some, it was a six for six trade. Yeah, like Rick Hayward, I believe, was a name. Rick Hayward, Hayes was in there. Uh, yeah, Eric Perrin. Uh, we got uh, Tom Draper, I think, was the goalie that came back. It, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. So Mooj is, uh, yeah, that's a that's a funny connection. And it, hey, so Ryan Mooj and was running Bruins. He worked coach for the Providence Bruins, and he was running development camp. Jim's nephew was at Bruins development camp, and when I told Mooj that, he's like, "Yeah, I fought his dad." 
<laughs> his brother. So it's yeah. kind of funny how the hockey world gets connected yeah. to a couple punches and a few beers every now and exactly. then. Exactly. So how is uh, – you mentioned the, the, the veteran rule. I was just looking at the roster. It looks like you've got a couple of those filled already. Uh, Justin Vive uh, from Miami has over 600 games of pro experience. Um, 66240. That's nice, good size. Uh, and then Jesse Schultz is 38 years old, has played over 400 games in the American League. Those are some nice veteran players to have uh, in your core there. Yeah, well, uh, so Justin Vive, uh, anybody that's um, an old Leaf fan, uh, and which I am, I'm a, I'm a Toronto boy. I grew up in Mississauga, just outside Toronto, and uh, his dad was a legend for the Leaf. He's for the Leafs, he's when you talk to Rick, the only thing that really bothers him today in his life is that Austin Matthews is probably going to beat the only record he still has for the Leafs, which is three consecutive 50 goal seasons. And he's he keeps getting nervous that uh, Austin Matthews is probably going to be the guy that's going to break it. He probably will. But uh, Justin played at Miami, obviously a U.S. national development program guy, fourth rounder to Anaheim, I believe. Um, and uh, just a wicked leader one uh, this year during the, because we didn't play, he signed on with Fort Wayne in our league and they won a championship. And I, I have no doubt he was a huge reason for that. He's, he's got leadership through and through Jesse Schultz. Uh, here's a guy who's played two NHL games. He's been a, you know, a third, I think 38 goals, maybe one year in the American hockey league, won a Calder cup in the uh, championship in the American league. Um, loves hockey. It, you know, it, here's my favorite thing. And uh, I get the opportunity to work with Jim's guys, uh, players from the junior team this weekend. And everybody says that they love hockey, right? And loving hockey isn't enough. Like Jesse Schultz obsessed with hockey. He'll tell you what curve every guy's, if he's wearing 108 wax laces versus 96 non-wax laces, he knows everything about every player. Uh, just a, a true student of the game and, uh, and an incredible player uh, the hardest he's been hit in four years has been in practice on a mid-ice collision and a, and a poorly designed drill by myself, uh, which he reminds me of con, uh, constantly. But he's a uh, he's just so smart. He's one of these guys that when you have a guy that's played as much as him and understands how to play the game effectively as him, man, can that ever rub off on some young prospects. So Buffalo loves that we've got some veteran guys like that. This year we had uh, Louis Caparuso, who was a third rounder to the Ottawa Senators, was a big time goal scorer at Michigan uh, in the 2000s, uh, you know, just finished playing seven years over in Europe in the, in the DEL in Germany. And uh, he's coming back uh, to North America to play. So we've got some really impressive guys that are really going to propel our team forward. And I, I listen, I, I'm a big believer in developing young players. I'm also a big believer in having, really good role models around to show those young players how, how's it done and how it, how it's done. And uh, those three guys that we just talked about are as good as they come to be able to teach young guys how, you know, what it takes to be able to realize your dream of playing at a higher level. So uh, coach Mitchell, we'll turn it back to you. Uh, you know, we just got done talking about the roster for the ECHL uh, club. What about the junior clubs roster? You know, where are you at? Um, you know, as far as putting so, together that opening night roster and, you know, where are you looking to find players at? So we, we got actually pretty lucky. Um, within a month, I was, I was full. I've signed 29 guys, 18 of them being local guys from Columbus through uh, Northern Kentucky. So I've got 18 local guys. Um, and then the rest are, I got kids from Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. So, you know, within the first month I was, I was pretty, I was full and it was, it was really uh, kind of overwhelming because I didn't, I didn't expect it to go that quick, but you know, a, a lot of these guys I was recruiting or, or scouting for Hudson. Um, they wanted to come to Cincinnati. And then I got a lot of veterans from the USPHL that were playing for other teams that wanted to come to Cincinnati. And, you know, that was, that was key. I got, you know, one of the leading scorers in the league last year, Drake Barnish. He's, he had 37 goals in 44 games. He signed with me here in Cincinnati. He was playing in Hudson, signed Brendan Walk. Um, he came, he's from Detroit. He had 35 points in 24 games. He got hurt last year. So I signed some really, really good, strong veterans that 
you know, again, like Matt says, they're going to be leaders for the younger guys. And, and um, I've put myself in a position to be very competitive this year. So I'm pretty excited right now. That, that's awesome to hear. Um, I mean, I know, you know, you were alluding to, you had some mini camps and things coming up. Um, so I guess like, you know, what's next on your schedule, you know, mini camp wise, main camp, things like that. So mini camp is this weekend. Uh, it'll be the last uh, mini camp that we come in, that the guys come in for, and then they report October 5th. Um, we're going to play University of Kentucky in September. Um, but our leagues, our league games start against the Mavericks in Columbus on September 17th and 18th. We'll be in Columbus playing the Mavericks. And then we're going to play Eastern Kentucky after that, just to get a couple more exhibition games in. And then October 1st, we open the season at Heritage. Awesome. Um, you said you're going to University of Kentucky. Do you get a midnight game? Down no, we, we're, <laughs> we're actually playing them here at Northland. I was, okay. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't want to travel to Lexington. Uh, there's some uh, bus costs that uh, I'm trying to keep in control. Fair enough. So, uh, Andrew, back to you. The, the schedule is out, I believe. Um, and I know the Cyclones front office is still formulating the promotional schedule on that, but what can you tell us about the schedule? When's the, when's the home opener? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll say this. So we actually, we have a preseason game on Thursday, October 14th at home, but our home opener where the games, you know, actually count for points and wins losses is um, on Saturday, October 30th. That's going to be uh, against the Indy Fuel. It's our third game of the season. So we start the week prior in Indy, um, which we have a ton of games against them. I'm not looking at it right now. I think it's like 15 or 16 or something out of, out of 72. So, um, but we, we start on the road Saturday, October 23rd in Indy following week on Friday, we're in Kalamazoo and we, uh, we drive back. And then on the 30th, Saturday, October 30th, we've got a 7:30 PM puck drop, uh, at home opening night, opening faceoff against Indy. Um, you know, as you mentioned the promotional schedule, I mean, at the time of this recording, I think we're still about, I want to say two weeks out uh, from being able to reveal all that. There's a couple of just bells and whistles we want to finalize. I think it's probably not a secret to anybody, and I, I, hopefully I'm not going to get any flack for this, but, uh, you know, the Cyclones, one of their signature events that they do on a, on a seasonal basis is uh, New Year's Eve, uh, fireworks inside the building. It's a really, really cool spectacle. It'll obviously be my first time being in the building for it, but I've seen videos and pictures. It looks awesome. I don't know how they pull it off, but I can't wait to see them do that. That's against Greenville. Uh, I think it's a 6 or 6.30 p.m. start time. It's a little earlier than normal uh, on New Year's Eve. And then um, we've got some homestands, uh, you know, the, those key rivals that you're used to seeing uh, in this town, you know, Kalamazoo, Fort Wayne, Indy. Um, there's also, I know the Allen Americans are coming in uh, later in the year, I believe in February. And then actually the start of November, our second weekend, um, or yeah, our third week of the season, our second week of home games, uh, we've actually got two against the Iowa Heartlanders. They're a brand new expansion team uh, in the ECHL. They're the uh, ECHL affiliate for the uh, Iowa Wild in the American League and the Minnesota Wild in the NHL. Um, but I think it's exciting. And as coach talked about, you know, you guys were mentioning, you know, veterans between Caparuso and, and Vive and Schultz, who've obviously been here for a little bit. Um, I think the team is coming together well too. You know, every Wednesday uh, in the afternoon, we announce player signings uh, as part of our player signing Wednesday. So, you know, I would, I would encourage fans to keep an eye out on that on a weekly basis, because uh, you know, as you, we mentioned all those veterans uh, coach was talking about, you know, the recruiting process and the kind of kids you get here. Um, there's a lot of kids with a D1 background that are coming into Cincinnati that are beginning their pro careers uh, and a few more that are going to be announced. So I think there's a good infusion of youth and experience and um, just, you know, so not only is it exciting, right, to have hockey back in the city, but also it's exciting to to know that you're probably going to have a really competitive team, uh, which is where Coach Thomas has had them the last several years. So I think there's a lot to look forward to and just you know, keep an eye out because in the next couple of weeks, those promotions will come out. And like I said, I can't really peel the curtain back on everything just yet because um, there's a few things getting finalized, but there's definitely a lot of exciting ones, ones that fans are accustomed to, but also some new ones that we hope they take a liking to as well. Well, that's great. Uh, guys, we want to thank all three of you for your time and uh, we'll have to circle back with you uh, during the season to see how things are doing going down there in, in Cincinnati, both in the ECHL and the USPHL. 
Yeah. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for keeping us on, uh, Scott. We appreciate it. I'm uh, Matt. I'm going to go here. This is kind of taking, taking time out of my day. I got to go back in the mirror and just squint really hard. I'm trying to grow this facial hair. Um, <laughs> that's been too successful yet, but we're working yeah, on it. Good luck. Good luck. Like, like Chia Pet, man. Chia Pet. Add water. It will grow quicker. Well, do. When we, when we talk to you, when we, when we circle back during the season, you'll have a, a thick Tom Selleck uh, oh, mustache, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I'll buy you the Ferrari as soon as the Tom as soon as it gets the Tom Selleck, I'll buy you the Ferrari in the Hawaiian shirt. Get get us at the end of November. I'm gonna really try and grow it out as hard as I can. There, I'm trying yeah, to look like start on November. I like it. I like it. Well, <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to look like the logo on the Pringles can. If you've ever seen that, <laughs> what we're going for. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having us on. This is great. Uh, appreciate all you guys do for hockey in the state and. Uh, you know, he did mention the, the Indy rival and, uh, you know, I don't know if they've got a, uh, uh, I guess a competitor showing in, in Indiana, but we should be keeping tabs on, uh, how those records go from, you know, might hockey all the way up through the pro teams. Uh, let's make sure Ohio comes out on top in these, uh, in these wars. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program product or service and advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Well, that was fun. That's, uh, it was great talking with those guys. It's uh, great to see the connection between the pro franchise and the junior hockey franchise and the junior hockey team uh, recruiting a lot of local talent down there. So it's really a nice uh, connection all the way up and down the ranks there uh, in Southwest Ohio, down in Cincinnati with uh, the Cyclones and the Junior Cyclones. The Cyclones getting back on the ice after 18 months and the Junior Cyclones getting their inaugural season underway here in the next couple months. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking with uh, both Coach uh, Thomas and Coach Mitchell, it sounds like, you know, they've, they put themselves in a good spot to be competitive going into this year, you know, which is going to be huge, I think, for that community down there. Um, being one of the, you know, stronger hockey communities in the state, just put that competitive product, you know, on the ice again. Um, you know, one of the things I, you know, I guess I found most interesting was talking with Coach Thomas, you know, asking him that question, how he's feeling going into this year. And based off of everything he was saying about how he felt, when it got shut down, I was ready, you know, from expecting him to jump through the screen and be all fired up and, yeah. you know, him, you know, going into a little detail of how that extra year of NCAA eligibility is affecting him. And, you know, the, the ECHL as a whole, you know, that's something I never thought of. Um, but it's, yeah, you know, it's interesting had- to see that trickle down effect of what, everything else, everyone else making adjustments to their respective leagues, how that's affecting across the board. Yeah. I thought of a question to ask, but we had two other guys that we needed to get on there and I didn't want to keep them talking too long, but it's kind of an art at that level recruiting and you have to recruit. There's no draft. They get a handful of players through the Buffalo and Rochester uh, affiliation, but you're recruiting, you're convincing guys to go there. And it's got to be an art form of looking at, because you're, you're recruiting out of the same leagues that the NHL is drafting from. So you have to look at the NCAA players and you're not looking at necessarily the top player. And if you're looking at teams in the Ontario league, you're not necessarily looking for the kids that are going to peak, have the highest ceiling because they're not going to stay at your level. So you kind of, you have to find your sweet spot of guys that are good enough, but not too good because you don't want to burn all your calories recruiting guys that are going to get offers to play in the American league or the national hockey league, two-way contracts. Um, so you have to kind of find that kid who's um, just below that level. And then you have to convince them that they want to play in the ECHL. Cause I'm sure most of them are probably thinking, no, I'm going to hold out and try to get a deal somewhere else. So uh, he's done it, been doing it for a long time. So I'm sure he's got it. Uh, he's got that down. But um, that's got to be an interesting kind of tightrope line you have to walk if you're going to be successful at that level. I also noticed, looking at his hockey DB page, 
right after we signed off that he was an assistant coach at the University of Maine right after Nate Lehman was. So I wonder if he took his spot. Yeah, I mean, you got to think. If it lines up like that, he probably did. And and played at RIT, where our last week's guest is going to play next year. All kinds of symmetry happening here in the uh, on-air podcast. Crazy. It's like, uh, what is it, um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon? That's right. The six degrees of Ohio hockey. That's right. So we want to thank Matt Thomas, Andrew Moss Brooks, and Jim Mitchell for joining us. Come back next week when we will speak with Dylan Duke of the U.S. National Development Program, a recent draft pick of the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning and a member of the University of Michigan's 2021-22 team, which is uh, pretty much unanimous, expected to be the number one team in college hockey next year. We've also lined up interviews with Kent State University's new head coach, Zach Nowak, and ACHA Executive Director Craig Barnett. Uh, for future episodes, check www.ohiohockeydigest.com for the full lineup of upcoming shows. Continuing to grow the game as best we can, this is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.